Let's begin our scripture reading in the book of Psalms, chapter 100, beginning at verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your word as it as it guides us, as it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we pray that you would illuminate your truth in us and through us and around us this morning, that that we might experience the fruit of the Spirit in its many forms, especially as we focus on the truth of joy, as we find that it comes from you first. Change us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said at the beginning here, we're in a series, we're actually in the middle of a series at this point, we're calling the Fruit of the Spirit, and we're focusing on the second attribute on this list of things that the Apostle Paul says grows out of a person who has the Spirit of God living inside of them. And I said at the very beginning of this series that I thought it would be really good for us to memorize this list. I even gave you, if you were with us, a list that you could take and put it somewhere. Now, I assume that all of you have been diligently working to memorizing that, right? Probably not. I haven't done as good of a job either, and so let's go back to that. It's really important that we memorize these things that Paul says are a part of what God provides for us when he lives in us. And so uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, let's say these words together out loud. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do that every day. Say, oh, you want to continue? You want to read the rest of it? That'd be good too. Against such things, there is no law. That's part of it as well. But here's the reason why. The reason you want to memorize these things is that how many of us need at least three or four of them at any given point in our life? Show of hands. And what that does to know that these are things that we cannot purchase, that we cannot muster, that we cannot force ourselves into, it reminds us, if we have this list memorized, that when I need love, joy, peace, patience, when I'm needing more of those things, I'm reminded that those are things that come from God. Those are things that God's presence inside of me will bring out as fruit if I turn to him. And love is the first thing that we talked about. It's the first thing on the list. The second that we're going to talk about today is joy. And what we learn in our reading today, one of the many things we're going to learn in Psalm 100, is that joy and our experience with joy has a lot to do with our perspective. 
And there's a story that I, I read a number of years ago. I don't know where it comes from. Frankly, I don't even know if it's true, but it's good. So, so I'll share it with you. It's a little funny. Uh, it's about a child psychologist who wanted to observe how different children responded to negative circumstances. And so had this out-of-the-box idea. He took a room and filled it with manure. And then they took a couple children and put them in the room to see how they responded. The first child was a child that was kind of predisposed to being pessimistic. And so they put the child in the room, and of course, within a couple of minutes, he's complaining. Oh, it stinks. It's gross. I don't want to touch anything. Took him out of the room. Second child they put in, he was more of an optimist. And they put him in the room, and he looked around, and within a couple of minutes, he was excited. And a couple of minutes more, he started to dig through the manure. And so they pulled him out, and they said, why are you so excited? He said, with all this manure in the room, there has got to be a pony in here somewhere. I'm going to find it. (laughs) Some might call that joy. (laughs) Don't you want to be like that boy? But see, joy's tough. It's, it's more than that. And I think that one of the reasons it's so tough to define is because it's, it's, it's different than so many similar ideas that come to mind. And when I think about similar ideas that come to mind when I think of joy, the first one on Independence Day of all days that I think of is the word happiness. And I want to say at the onset that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Uh, This optimistic boy was not necessarily happy that he was digging through manure. He was feeling joy because he looked beyond what he saw. But see, they do seem to live on the same block. Across the street, we also find pleasure and fun. Happiness is something we talk a lot more about as Americans, isn't it? It's something we know a lot about. If you look at the very beginning of our country's foundation, the Declaration of Independence, 245 years ago, today it starts in the first few lines with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these rights are life, liberty, and say it with me, The pursuit of joy. No. (laughs) The pursuit of happiness. Right? That's what it says. It doesn't say joy. Our country was founded on this principle. That we have the right. The right to pursue our own happiness. And on top of that, that this pursuit of happiness is not something that's given to us by our country, but more than that, it's given to us by our creator. It's given to us by God. And so I was looking at this this week, and I I learned a couple of things. Thomas Jefferson wrote these words, and I learned that he actually had an original draft that was a little bit different than the words that made it into the Declaration of Independence. Most of the content's the same, but there are a couple of differences. And so let me, let me read to you his original words. It says this, We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent, and that from that equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable, and among them are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now, if you look at that for just a second, you'll notice there's a couple of differences. And the difference that jumped out to me right away, and the one that we'll focus on today, is the word independent. Do you notice that? 
That word isn't included in the, the final draft. Not to say that independence isn't implied. It is the declaration of independence. But, but in his original draft, he says that all men are created equal and independent, which if you take that thought a step further, it suggests that our inherent right from God that to pursue happiness at its foundation is an independent pursuit. It's an independent pursuit. And there's just one problem with that. The independent pursuit of happiness will always be limited to our independent ability to bring it to our lives. It's independent in the sense that we can only get what we can get. Anybody remember the, the 2006 Will Smith movie, The Pursuit of Happiness? Show of hands. It's a good movie. Um, it's about the life. Uh, Will Smith is the main character. He plays uh, the, the life of a man named Chris Gardner. Single dad with a young son. Defies the odds. He goes from being homeless to, to, to and having no opportunities. Uh, climbs to a position where he's a stockbroker. Eventually becomes a millionaire. And there's this quote. I've shared it some years ago. Um, and I'll share it with you now. Uh, where Gardner says this. He says, I started thinking about Thomas Jefferson and the de Declaration of Independence and the part that our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness isn't something that, that maybe that happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have it no matter what. How did he know that? Interesting. I love it. There's another quote. I won't put it up on the screen. It's, a, it's about joy. It's by C.S. Lewis. I love, love this quote. He says, Joy is the serious business of heaven. That's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness may be the business of a country, but joy is the serious business of heaven. And what we're going to learn today is, is that it's different from happiness because it is not limited. It is not limited by anything or anyone because it comes from God. And so we look back at our reading today in Psalm 100. It's one of the many places throughout the Bible that calls us to joy. And we find a, a short song used to give thanks to God. And it was used for generations uh, for Israel to come before God and worship. And it begins with verse 1. It says, shout for joy to the Lord. See, there's gonna, you're going to see that this song is very short. It's cut into two parts. Both parts start with an invitation to praise and then and it gives a reason why. Why do we praise God? Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth. There's the invitation. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before God with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. Here's why we worship him. He is who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And the first thing that we're going to learn here, there's three things I'm going to cover with you today. The first thing is that God is both the source and the object of our joy. When you look at the difference between happiness and joy, when it comes to joy, God is both the source and the object of our joy. And I was reading this week a book uh, by, the, by the author Phil uh, Kennison. It's called Life on the Vine. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. And in that book, he quotes Shakespeare, who said, Joy delights in joy. 
Joy delights in joy. And I'm, I'm looking, for those of you online, you don't know who I'm looking at. I'm looking at Carol Saban. I told her at the beginning of the service, I thought of her when I was writing my sermon this week. Because Carol Saban, um, who, if you don't know, is wonderful and um, has just an incredible amount of wisdom. And at the beginning of my time here at St. John's, I remember as we were asking God to come to this place and to do something with us. And, and we wanted to, to, to glorify his name and reach people who don't know Jesus and all of those things, Carol would tell me, you would tell me often, and other people as well, that enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm. And so you sound a lot like Shakespeare to me. If you have enthusiasm, it breeds enthusiasm in other people, right? Shakespeare said the same thing. He said, joy breeds joy. Joy breeds joy. And, and then he compares this concept to the experience he has by being a father of young children. And I can relate to the same thing. It actually happened this morning when my wife Alyssa came with the four kids, and I didn't see some of them all morning because I left before they got out of bed, right? And, and so they came into church, and they saw me, same thing happens when I come home from work after a long day of work and they haven't seen me. My 12-year-old doesn't so do this anymore, but the little ones do. Doesn't matter what they're doing, doesn't matter where they're going. When I walk in the door and they see me, what do they do? Daddy! Daddy, 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 daddy! And they come and they hug me and they're full of joy, right? In that moment, it's the same thing as our relationship with God. Is their father, I am the source and the object of their joy. When I walk in the door, I haven't done anything for them yet. They're just simply delighting in my presence in a way that shows delight to me. And what's the response? I feel joy too, right? Like, doesn't matter what's going on. And I'm looking at all of you. You're smiling, right? Because now you're feeling the same joy just because I'm telling you the story. You're not even there, but you know what it is, and it brings joy, right? Enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm. Joy delights in joy. And here's the truth. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. That's why we come to church. It's why we sing out loud with other people. We sing, we come before God. It's why they came before God in Psalm 100, because joy breeds joy, which leads us to the second thing that we learn about joy. Joy is not contingent on our conditions or our circumstances. Joy is not contingent on our conditions or our circumstances. Look at verse 4. Again, this is the second invitation to joy. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks and praise to him. Praise his name. Now, when I walk in the door at home, and there's joy that my young children share with me, and I return to them, it has nothing to do with whatever it was that they were in the middle of when I walked in. And it has little to do, nothing to do with whatever I'm thinking about from my day when I walk in as well. The joy that we share together seems to transcend all of that, if only for a moment. And the truth is, the same is true for our relationship with God when we come before him in worship. Now, it's, it's only for a moment, right? It doesn't mean that after a couple of minutes of hugs and kisses and joy, I don't find out that, that Sophie was sitting there, she doesn't want to eat her vegetables, and Carlos is whining, and all of those things. Eventually, you get pulled into that. But for that moment of joy, 
all of those things seem to fade away. And the psalmist is suggesting that when we come to worship, the same is true for us. He says, enter the gates with thanksgiving. Enter the courts with praise. These are the gates of the church. These are the gates of the temple. It's not to suggest that there aren't other things going on, things that you're not thankful for outside of those gates, but we come into those gates and we thank God and we set our hearts on that because joy breeds joy. And so we come before God and we bring that before him. We worship, we sing, And we do it especially when life outside those four walls is crazy because when we make God the source and our object of our joy, he fills us with joy we cannot get on our own. And the third thing that we learn, the last thing, is is that this joy is not a way of ignoring the things outside of those four walls. It's not a way of ignoring the brokenness in our world. But the third thing we learn about joy is that joy replaces Joy will replace grief. You know, I struggled with that sentence. I could have changed it. Joy will outlive grief. That could have been said. Joy will overcome grief. Joy is stronger than grief. You'll have joy for longer than grief. All of those things are true. Joy will replace grief. Psalm 100 verse 5. The Lord is good. And his love endures forever. Why do you enter into the courts and praise his name and share joy with him that he might share joy with you? Why? Because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all the generations. You know what won't continue through all the generations? Your grief, your suffering, your challenges. Your pain, your illness, your cancer, your divorce, your broken relationships will not go forever, but God will and his joy will endure because he is good. And so we come before God, sometimes just like that little boy digging through the manure, not ignoring the fact that the manure stinks, but knowing that it will all be worth it when I find that pony. It'll all be worth it. And what we remember in the gospel truth is this, that God's promises and love and faithfulness are much better than a pony. And they will endure forever and beyond the worst that life can bring. And this, this reminds me, and I'll leave you with this. In the gospel of John, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death. He's telling them about the joy that they're going to experience after he dies on the cross and rises from the grave. And and he says, you're not going to see me for a little while because I'm going to die, right? But then you are going to see me, and and I'm going to rise from the grave, and you're going to be with me forever eventually. It's going to be wonderful. And, And so he tells them this, right? And they are just as confused as you and I would be. This doesn't even make sense to them. And so, so, so Jesus here, they're thinking he's going to be an earthly king. They're thinking he's going to take over Israel, which is going to overcome the power of Rome, and that all of their happiness is going to come from being close to that kind of power on earth. And so, so now he's telling him he's going to die, and it's the Romans that are going to kill him, and, and they're actually going to be sad for a while because they're not going to see him, but then afterwards they're going to be happy, and they're really confused, and they're talking about it amongst themselves. And so it says in John chapter 15, Jesus saw that they had questions that they wanted to ask about all this. And so he said to them, he said, are you asking one another what I meant when I said what I just said? 
Are you asking what I meant when I said in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Joy. And this is very plain language. These disciples would watch Jesus be brutally murdered on a cross, placed in a grave, and left for dead, and all of the men and women who put him there would rejoice, and they would mourn, and they would weep. And why would they mourn and weep? Well, well, a couple of things. The, The most obvious, of course, is they've lost their friend. They've lost their rabbi. They've lost this person, but, but more than that, right? There's more to weep and mourn over. Peter, for example, right? Jesus said, I'm going to build upon your leadership my church, right? That's what he said. You're going to be the rock. And then the same Peter would turn around and deny even knowing Jesus three times while these people that are rejoicing that they've conquered him would take him away and kill him on the cross. Peter said, I don't even know the guy three times. Do you think Peter's weeping right now? Yes. And he's weeping over his shame and his guilt. And then you have the rest of the disciples, right? They're faced with the challenge that they had all their hope and faith and trust in the pursuit of a happiness that would come from a Jesus that would serve as an earthly king in an earthly kingdom that would give them all of the material possessions and power that they could ever want. That that would be their hope and that that would be their joy. And he can't do any of those things If he's dead, and they have invested three years of their life into that happening, and so they're mourning. And when I think about all these reasons for them to have to mourn, I think so should we. Because we want those things too, don't we? We want all the same things the disciples did. And we look for those things in all the same places they did. I know I do. You may not be following a rabbi expecting him to become a king, but have you ever voted for someone that you expected to provide you with things that would give you the happiness that you want? Have you ever asked for those things? Have you expected those benefits from your candidate of choice, your party, your country? Have you ever been excited when they won? (laughs) And then devastated when the promises didn't come true? Or when they lost? Jesus said you will mourn and weep, right? That's what he's talking about. You've done it. I've done it. We've all done it. It's the 4th of July. (laughs) We've all experienced this. Today's Independence Day. And what I think we're really gathered here to do in church as we enter into this day of celebration is to remember that like joy, independence is a gift, not a right. Independence is a gift, not a right. Because true independence, and I think I make this point every Independence Day weekend, true independence assumes a dependence on the one who earned it on your behalf. Independence assumes a dependence on the one who earned it on your behalf. As a country, right? 
Our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is only possible because of the sacrifice of those who gave up their life and their liberty and their own happiness so that we could have those things, right? That's what we remember today, that so many, countless people have given up those things. They have fought for freedom. Not to mention those who lost freedom or were denied their freedom in our country's far from perfect pursuit of its own. And have we not become painfully aware of that over the last several years as well? This is a pursuit that clearly 245 years later still continues. We have not yet arrived, which should be evidence to all of us that Will Smith's character, Chris Gardner, is true. The right that we have is to pursue it. We may never actually have it. And here's the thing. Lest you think I'm going to leave you depressed, that's okay. That's okay because you are in church. You chose on Independence Day to be in church to learn about the gifts that you cannot pursue. Because here's the truth. We have a right to pursue happiness, but in Christ, joy pursues you. You may have a right to pursue happiness, but in Christ, joy pursues you. 1 Peter 1, 6 says, Be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so that when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. And so would you join together with me as we bow our heads and we pray. Lord Jesus, we have so much today to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. We have our country, our freedom, our independence. It's all a gift. It's all grace. In the original language of the New Testament, the Greek word for grace comes from the same root word that we get the word joy. As if even the language is a reminder to us that both of those things cannot be earned. They must be received. And in order to receive a gift, we have to let go of whatever it is that we have been holding on to in its place. And so today on this Independence Day weekend, will you help us to let go of the one thing that we cannot let go of on our own, our sin. So that you can take it from us and give us what we cannot even begin to pursue, the salvation of our souls. Jesus, I, I think about that time when you stood outside the, the tomb of Lazarus and you talked to his sister and he was dead. 
Talk about a moment that would be the opposite of experiencing joy. You looked at her and you said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Lord Jesus, may we say yes too that we would know that through our complete and total dependence on you, you have already done what it takes to give us independence from sin and death so that we might go out into the world with a joy, a joy that doesn't come from the happiness that we can pursue, but the hope that only you can give. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.